Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. All right, so we're going to start on this series about probably, this is probably number two on the list of controversial topics in the church, and it shouldn't be. And it really becomes controversial topics because of the fact that so many people get what they believe about it outside what the Bible says about it. And that's what causes so many problems, right? So we're going to start a series on healing, the topic of healing, right? And so as we start this and we talk about this, you know, when you start talking about healing, divine healing, supernatural healing, of course, it never... uh, (laughs) <laughs> you know, we, even with me, it never ceases to hit my mind about the fact of the people that put on the big shows and the televangelists and all this different stuff, right? But think about it like this. We don't quit using fire just because wildfires start, right? We don't, someone sets the mountain on fire. We don't say, well, we're never going to use fire again because some moron went up here and set the mountains on fire and they're burning the mountains. We don't stray away from the topic of healing or these other these other things that we're going to go into but specifically healing in this series because of the fact that you've seen people do that and which wasn't right okay we've all seen the Benny hens and all this different stuff and and we're not we're not i'm not going to back down from any of these topics i'm not going to shy away from any of these topics we're going to answer questions and the way i like to go with this is i like to explain it i like to argue with myself and I like to present arguments and things about, you know, why is this this way? And why do people think this way? And, and, and I understand why a lot of people get pushed away specifically from divine healing, receiving healing, being prayed for for healing and all this different stuff. Because there's been a lot of people out there that have been absolutely nutty about it. Absolutely nutty about it. You know, like for perfect example... When we talk about nutty, probably one of the nuttiest things that I have seen recently was actually Brandon and I were talking last night, and he's like, hey, man, have you seen this video from this one specific church? Big church, mega church, all these different people known for having, let's call it rather weird and unbiblical doctrines. And so they are up on this stage, right, and they've got this, They've got this council of multicultural people, you know, holding. They're on the stage with this staff, like that's a replica of the staff that Gandalf used in Lord of the Rings. Have you? Has he showed you any of this? Have you talked to him about this? All right. So they're on this stage, and of course, there's this lady up there, and she's talking about that the Lord appeared to her in a vision. You know, and all this different stuff, and that, and that, and he showed her in this vision, basically using Gandalf in this vision from Lord of the Rings, and goes to begin to quoting the movie scene from Lord of the Rings, right? Where I don't know if you've ever seen it, but you know, Gandalf is on this bridge, right? And there's this big thing called a Balrog, you know, and he's fighting this thing on the on the, on this big bridge, you know, and this thing's basically a big demon, is what it is, and, and you know, and this. They're in this place where, you know, they're trying to get out and this big thing's a chasing them, you know, this big demon's a chasing them and all this different stuff. And so, you know, there Gandalf is standing on this bridge, right? 
I'm telling them about this video that I watched that you encouraged me to watch. And we're talking about the topic of healing and how, uh, just to kind of catch you up, is the fact that because we've seen a lot of people do a lot of things that's not right in the scope of the word pertaining to healing, supernatural healing, divine healing, we don't quit using fire just because someone goes and sets a building on fire. Well, so we're talking about, yes. So I was talking about nutty things, right? Yeah. So we've seen a lot of people do a lot of things. So basically, what this woman did was, is, you know, they said, we're going to take this, the Lord told me to take this staff and get these other members of the church, the board, and we're going to get a hold of this thing together, and we're going to rebuke the racist spirit that's in America, that's in the church. And I thought, dear Lord, dear Lord, surely they're not going to do this. Well, it, not only did they, not only did they do, did they do that, but they encouraged this woman to share the vision that the Lord gave her about Gandalf standing on this bridge, you know, and all this different stuff, and and so. I was talking to Michael Mays about it. You probably all don't know that, but Michael's my, you know, one of my best friends, one of my closest closest friends, and he and I were talking about this today because I sent him the video. And he's like, me and him were talking about it, and he's like, you know, he's like, that funny thing about that is is that that woman forgot the fact that, you know, when Gandalf smacks the staff, the bridge breaks, and basically both of them fall into this abyss. It's like hell. It's like, you know... But they got on, you know, they got on this stage on a national platform, big cameras and everything else, and they had a, a, a black woman and a white guy and a Korean man and all this different stuff, you know, and they all got a hold of this staff, you know, and, and they're smacking this staff on the ground, you know, by, by apostolic decree, we rebuke the spirit of racism in the church. And I said, dear Lord, I said, dear Lord, Surely. This is recently, folks. Like, this happened in January is, is when I saw this, right? So, but I say that to say this. There are people out there that are absolutely nutty. They hold big, they, they run big churches. They have big ministries. And there are people out there that are in little old backwoods country churches that are absolutely nutty. Pertaining to one story... I don't know if you've ever heard me tell this, but I got invited to a benefit singing one time down in close to a church down south of Jellico. And uh, so they asked me to come down to this benefit singing. This woman's sick, you know, and and, uh, and they trying to raise money for doctor bills, you know. Well, shoot, you can't hardly say no when someone asks you to go down, you know, and play and sing and raise money, you know. So it's kind of like, you hate to say no, you know. Well, I went down there and I went walking in the church. Well, I, you know, I didn't know as much about being led by the Spirit of God then as I do now, you know. And as soon as I pulled in the parking lot, my stomach started acting funny. And I was like, I, said, I don't even know what's going on here, but, like, something's really weird, you know. And so I go, I go, I got my guitar case, you know, and I'm, I'm walking in the church. And I walk in their main sanctuary, and, like, these 8 or 10 or 12 people, man, they all just kind of, their all heads kind of turned to me at once. And they're just staring at me like, what are you doing here? You know, I was like, I kind of felt like I was in Desperado right there. Like I was kind of, instead of a guitar in that case, I was kind of thinking I might need a gun or something to get out of this place. Well, now anyway, 
so I get up there, you know, and they're like, okay, so, you know, I, I do my songs and, and a couple other people do songs and this other guy. So they asked me to just sit on the stage, right? So I'm sitting on the stage back with my back in the corner like this, watching this whole display, you know. And this Pentecostal church, you know, and I'm, and I'm charismatic myself, so, you know, it didn't shock me when they started breaking out tambourines and things of that nature. You know, it's like, well, you know, all right. But things really got weird and took a real weird turn. And so in the middle of one of these songs, these two women literally just slapped each other on the head. And I mean, like, got a hold of each other basically by the hair at the ears and looked like, uh, looked like they was fighting. I, I mean, I thought for a minute they was fighting. And I mean, boy, I mean, they had each other's heads, boy, and I mean, they were uh, uh, going all the way down the ground and coming up and going down and going all over the stage. Kind of looked like King Kong versus Godzilla really fighting in Tokyo. I said... I said, dear Lord, I ain't never seen nothing like this before. I had to quote my friend Fred Brewer, who's gone on home to be with the Lord there a couple of years ago. Fred, he'd say, I ain't never seen nothing like that, and I've been to two county fairs and three rodeos. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? There's, there's, there's excess on both sides of the road. You can get in the ditch on the left-hand side, and you can get in the ditch on the right-hand side. That's why, if you'll remember... You know, you go back there in Deuteronomy and the Lord said, do not turn to the left nor the right, but go straight away, right? So it's important to understand that in the scope of Scripture pertaining to the topic of healing, there is many, many scriptural references to the subject of healing and the ways that, that healing is received, ways that healing is administered, so on and so forth. But I promise you, I'm not going to take my jacket off and try to knock anybody out in the spirit. Okay, so I, I, I give you, I give you my word to that. So, so let's don't shy away from these things just because we've seen people do stupid stuff. You know what I mean? You know, it's we don't. A lot of people miss out on God's best because Satan has got in, the devil's got in, and worked on some people and got them off astray. And now they're out teaching things that aren't right. And they're out doing things that aren't right. And people are saying, oh, well, that's crazy, you know, and this and that. Well, what they've done, Satan loves to take things that are biblical and that are right and that are good in the sight of the Lord. And he likes to get with people that he can work, right? And he will twist that and he will cause them to pervert these things to a, in such a way that people that really, really, really want to honor the Lord and live for the Lord will shy away from that because they get scared, you know? I mean, they'll think, well, you know, I don't want no part of that. Look what them bunch of nuts are over there doing. You know, I mean, and I've been there. I, I mean, I, I really have been there. And sometimes I still find myself there from time to time. I just look at things and I'm like, dear Lord, where y'all getting this stuff at? You know what I mean? So, I mean, it's like... You know, I'm not. I'm recording for the podcast, so I'm not going to call the church by name. I'd hate to think so. I'd hate for someone to think I'm picking on someone. But you know, when you get up there and you say, by apostolic decree, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, I take great issue with that because there's absolutely no scriptural precedent to say such things. You know, so with that said, there you go. So let's talk about the topic of healing, okay? Now, 
we're gonna go with this first part. Very, very, kind of in a different way. This is what I wanna talk to you about. If you're, if you're listening to this, I'm gonna, each one of these, I'm gonna to prove to you in the light of the scriptures over the next few weeks, everything that, everything that I say to you, I'm gonna to prove to you in the light of the scriptures. Okay, so here's some questions. Were we healed, were we healed spiritually? We're gonna answer that tonight. Did Jesus just heal people to prove who he was? If we don't run long, we'll improve, we're gonna prove that one in the light of the Bible tonight too. Is it God's will to heal our body and our mind? And is healing for everybody, or does God pick and choose people? We have to, see, the thing about this is, is that so many people want to state what they believe without being challenged on what they believe. It's the truth. People want to say, I believe this, and you say, well, why do you believe that? And then people get mad. Oftentimes, you will come to find out that people will say, well, I believe this, and you'll say, well, why do you believe that? And then they'll give you some abstract passage of Scripture that pertains to nothing to do with what they say they believe, right? So, moving forward, we want to answer these questions because shying away from the questions does not help anybody. Acting like the questions aren't there doesn't help anybody. You know, it's kind of like sticking your head in the sand like an ostrich, all that really does is leaves your rear end up in the air for someone to walk by and kick you in it. <laughs> About got Kathy with that one. I thought liquid, I thought I thought coffee was coming out her nose right there. That would have been so epic. If I'd have if, if I'd have been one one thousandth of a second quicker, I'd have got her, I'm pretty sure. I'm waiting on that too. What was I told people? Oh yeah. I'm waiting on the time when the Lord tells me to spit in the mud and make clay, you know, and rub it on someone's eyes or spit in their tongue. I'm also waiting for the moment when I crack a joke and someone shoots coffee out their nose during service. That'd be that'd be that'd be wonderful. We're gonna work on it, but we gotta get some we gotta get some teaching in there and build up. So, all right, what is God's best? We're going to answer that. What do you think God's best is? What if I could prove to you in the light of the Bible that God's best is to walk in health and not need healing? We can prove that. We can prove it in the light of the Bible. You know, well, you know, people, but also people will say, well, you know, God wants me to be sick and all this different stuff. But as long as you believe that, you're going to be sick. And also, too, think about this. People will say, and I've heard lots of, I, I mean, I've heard good people that get mixed up and believe that. Well, I just, God wants me to be sick. Well, if he does, why are you going to the doctor? Don't go to the doctor. If God wants you to be sick, bless God, be as sick as you can possibly be. Don't go to the doctor. If God wants you to be sick, going to the doctor is outside the will of God for you. You know, and then you, and then here you go again. Look, we talk about one extreme and then go to the other. And they say, well, you know, if you're really a person of faith, you can't go to the doctor. Well, that ain't right either. That ain't right either. We're not against doctors. We're not against nurses. We're not against good, good medical science that came from the Lord. So you, you got to be careful there. You'll fall. You, I mean, you can go. I mean, you can get jerked right in the ditch. You can leave one ditch and jump the road and get right back in the ditch on the other side and just be just in worse shape, as bad shape as what you was. I know. I've been there. I've been here. But God's best is for you to walk in health and not have even need of healing. That's His best. Now. What about timelines for healing? 
What about that? Have you ever thought about that? What about, what about, what about timelines for you to be healed and receive healing? What if I could tell you that in the line of the Bible, I can prove to you that there's three different timelines in the ministry of Jesus that took place? We're going to prove it. I'm giving you these points tonight, but we're not going to get there to them tonight. Because the very first part that we have to cover here is were you healed spiritually, and that's where we're going to go. But I'm throwing this out there that there are three timelines that we see in the ministry of Jesus that, ab that the Bible says this took place in this period of time, this took place in this period of time, and then this took place in this period of time. So one is, number one, is instantaneously. Instantaneously healed. <clears throat> That's one that you see in the Gospels. Another one that you see in the Gospels is, is from that same hour. You'll see that in the Gospels. Then you'll also see that over a prolonged period of time, other things took place. You're going to see that. So it's important to understand that. So just because you don't, a lot of people think, well, if I didn't get it instantly, it's not God's will for me to have it. Right? And what do they tell you? Well, you need more faith. You ain't got enough faith. You ain't got enough faith. No, you got plenty of faith. Faith is like a, faith is like a, a nuclear substance. It takes just a very tiny bit to produce great big results. But what you need is teaching. So that's the thing. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, right? So just because you something's made it in your head doesn't mean it's trickled down to your heart. Because you don't believe with your head, you must believe with your heart. That's how you receive salvation. Too many people today believe with their head and the results of them actually not being born again come forth in their life every single day. You can tell it. But they have mentally ascended to the fact that Jesus is Lord. Mentally, they've believed, well, there is a God. Well, that don't do you much good. Even the demons believe that, and they tremble. It's when it gets to your heart. Well, how do you know when it gets to your heart? It, you know that it gets to your heart when it becomes so real to you that nothing else is possible. It would be unfathomable for you to really believe something else, like the fact of being born again. You know when you're born again, all the devil will come against you, try to talk you out of it. But immediately in your spirit, when you've been born again, there's something keys up on the inside of you and says, <laughs> no, <laughs> not today, devil. No, I'm born again. See, because the alternative is unfathomable to you. I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm so glad. See that? So that's how you know that, some, that you're operating in true faith, right? That's how you know, because you get there, and it says, everything in this situation looks like all hell around me. All hell is breaking loose all around me, but God is faithful, and he's going to bring me out of this. You know, think about the situation with Kayla right here that just happened a couple of days ago. She gets a prompting by the Holy Spirit. Hey, I feel like I'm supposed to change my major. She does, and then two days later, out of the blue, she gets a call from a guy that she doesn't know about a job that she knew nothing about doing something that's perfectly in line with the leading of the Holy Spirit. So see, you can't, right at this moment in time, you can't talk Kayla out of the fact that she's not on the right track. Because there's so much evidence there proving she's on the right she's in the right path. But yet again, in times we don't walk by evidence, we walk by what? Faith. So when it comes to healing, it's no different. For faith for healing is no different than faith for salvation. It's no different for faith for provision. It's no different for faith for protection. All of this different stuff. It's just 
some people area here for, is up here for salvation, but then down here, they're way down here for healing. Well, they're way down here for healing for a number of different reasons. And we're going to talk about those reasons. We're going to talk about... Because see, if you're going to talk about ways to be healed, then you must counterbalance that by saying, are there hindrances to being healed? Receiving healing, right? Why didn't Mamaw, that was a Christian for 60-some years, die with cancer, and Bob, who's a drug addict and 20 years old, got instantaneously healed? See, we look on the outside, but the Lord knows the entire situation, right? So it's very, very important to understand there's an answer to every one of those situations. And sometimes that answer is, I want to go home. Sometimes that's their answer. Sometimes the truth of the answer is, you're praying for someone to be healed that doesn't want to be healed. They want to go home. They want to go home and be with the Lord. And your faith cannot override that. You cannot override in your faith something that someone is not believing for when they're believing for something completely different. I can't believe for Brandon an airplane when Brandon doesn't want an airplane. I can't force something upon him that he doesn't want. Why? Because he has his own authority. He has his own faith. I can't take my faith and force something on him that he doesn't want. And when it comes time, oftentimes it's hard for us to believe, well, you know, they were only 60-some years old but they wanted to go home. See, sometimes that is the answer. And that's a hard answer for us to take. So what do we do? Well, we treat God's word like it's not true. Well, healing's not for everybody, or it's not God's will to heal everybody. No, it, it, it is, but in mercy, you know, you're in sickness, and some people are in grave sickness, great sickness, sickness and pain that racks their body and their mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week that we don't understand anything about. You take someone that's been sick like that for months or years, there's an opportunity for them to go home. I mean, that's, sometimes that's the answer. It's not an answer that we like, but it's an answer that's still a truthful answer nonetheless. Right? So over a period of time is the last point. All right, now, ways of receive, receiving healing. There's about 14 different points that I've come to in the light of the Scripture on ways for you to be healed. And we're going to cover every one of those over the course of however long this takes, right? We're not going to, surely we, we're not going to stay here till daylight. Kenny's only had one hour of sleep. And, and I, Kenny walked off, and I told Regina, I said, my goodness, I feel bad for complaining about being tired when Kenny only had one hour of sleep. I said, I, I said if he just, I thought if he just jumped up and said, the Lord rebuke you, I'd just have to shut up. I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a leg to stand on. Be like, All right, so ways of healing. All right, now these are, some of these are controversial, but we're going to prove them in the light of the Scripture. In the light of the Scripture. Laying on of hands. By your faith. By the faith of someone that's close to you. We're going to prove that one. Confession or moving your mountain. Gifts of healings, working of miracles, anointing with all in the prayer of faith, special faith, casting out or off of unclean spirits, reading and listening to God's Word, a merry heart, communion, to fear the Lord and depart evil, medical science, and emphatically, probably one of the most controversial ones here out of all of these is praying in tongues. 
but it's still true nonetheless. Now, hindrances to receiving healing. Here's the hindrances. Now this, now listen, by no means am I saying that this is a fully detailed, this is all that there is, there's no more. I'm not saying that. What I'm telling you is, is there's 14 points that I found in the light of the scripture, that I can prove in the light of the scripture. And there are five points here that I can prove in the light of the scripture at this point in time. Brandon may take these five points and go home and study and find two more points. Kenny may take the 14 points and go home and find two more points. He may, I mean, we must understand that this is not, this is not an exhaustive list. This is certainly not an all-encompassing list of every detail. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you what I found so far. Okay? All right, now, <clears throat> this is a fan favorite in the church. Well, you know, that healing pertains to spiritual healing. You, were, you know, God healed you spiritually. And I can readily see why people believe that. I mean, I truly can. I can truly and genuinely see it and understand it. And we're not poking fun at nobody. And we ain't making fun of nobody. We're just going to lay this out point by point. I'm going to tell you what the Word says and let you think for yourself. That's what I like to do. I just tell you what the Bible says and let you think for yourself. Right? So, spiritual healing. All right. Now, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want you to see this. Because to talk about the parts of you, if we're going to talk about spiritual healing, then we must analyze what that means. Okay? So go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. My Bible's upside down. Don't tell nobody. I really know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> You might get a little concerned here in just a moment when you, when you realize that the guy that's talking has got his Bible upside down. It's kind of funny. I ought to do that one time. I ought to start quoting Scripture and then go, Oh! <laughs> Flip it around. <laughs> oh! <laughs> All right. So, I'm going to read this to you. Then we're going to talk about something. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now look what the Holy Spirit says right here. It says, Now may the God... Of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful will also do it. All right, so what does that tell me? Well, that tells me apparently there's three parts to me. Okay? Now, why is this important? Because there's a very, con there are so many Christian people are unfortunately very confused about this, okay? So you go to a lot of churches, and they'll say, what do they say? Well, such and such, you know, there was, their soul was saved. Well, that that's a, has an air of truth. There is an air of truth to that, right? But what really took place is not the saving of the soul, in essence, at the beginning, right? And we need to prove that, and we need to understand that. So here's why so many people get confused. I was driving down the road the other day, and the Holy Spirit showed me this. Two of the greatest revelations that we receive from passing from the Old Testament to the New Testament is this. Here we come to find out that there's three parts of you that make you you. You have a spirit, a soul, and a body. 
Now, we'll show you here in Hebrews that two of these are so closely linked together that the only thing that can separate them is God's Word, and that's the Spirit and the soul. All right, so in the New Testament, we come to find out there's a spirit, a soul, and a body. Well, why is this important? <clears throat> Excuse me. Because in the Old Testament, there was no revelation of a difference between spirit and soul, so they were used interchangeably. Right? Sometimes you would see the prophets and the writers, and they would say, well, the spirit, and then they would say the soul, and then so on and so forth. Well, that's number two. What's the first greatest revelation that we have passing from the, New, from the Old Testament to the New Testament? In the Old Testament, they didn't know that there was three parts to the Godhead. See that? So they didn't know that there was a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's why oftentimes when we see we have such a great confusion about who's doing what in the Old Testament. Well, God appeared to them. No, God didn't appear to them. But God did appear to them. But not in the term of God the Father. The Lord, Brandon and I were talking about this the other day. In Exodus, what happens? Moses is 80 years old and he's trucking through the pasture. Got his sheep, you know, he's just trucking through the pasture. Looks over there. He says, I'll be. That bush is on fire and it ain't burning. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go over there and see what's going down here. Right? That would get my attention. I'd be just walking through the field one day and I look over here and there's this burning bush. Right? <laughs> Abby, it was so funny. We like do super books and stuff, right? So Abby, when she was little, I used to, so we used to pick and alternate. So every day at supper, we would watch a super book while we ate. We talk about it, you know, and so on and so forth. And so one day I'd say, okay, Eli, it's your turn this day and then the next and so on and so forth. And we just rotated in a cycle. Well, so I asked Abby one time, I said, Abby, honey, which one do you want to watch? She's probably maybe five years old at the time. She said, Daddy, I want to watch the one with the talking tree. <laughs> I just, I sit there. I was like, what? you know, the one with the talking tree. And I was like completely stumped. I was like, I don't have any earthly idea what this child is talking about. Like, I, mean, I was like, I have no idea what's going down here. I said, which one, honey? You know, the one where the tree is talking to the man. And then it clicked and I was like, oh, you mean Moses in the burning bush. Yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Like, she's looking at me like, why are you stupid? What's wrong with you? Why do you not know what I'm talking? You know, it's so funny because, like, the kids, you know, they look at me sometimes and they kind of question the fact, like, I'm their leader. You know, it's like, <laughs> they look and they're like, I'm not so sure about this, you know. But, so Moses is in, you know, he sees a bush that's on fire and he walks over there and what's it say? Well, it says, the Lord God and the angel of the Lord. Well, what's that mean? Well, the, the appearance of the Lord, the, the appearance, the spiritual, up it wasn't an angel. It was the Lord himself, the spirit of the Lord. He sees the spirit of the Lord standing in the bush. And then what's it say? It says, then God began to speak to Moses. Through who? Through the Lord. Why? Because Jesus is what? He's the word, right? So in the Old Testament, we see that every personal interaction with man is the Lord Jesus. Because we come to find out no one's ever seen God at any time. We're talking about God the Father. Well, then it couldn't have been God the Father that was standing in the burning bush or Jesus is lying over here in John. See that? 
See, and then they have no real revelation. They don't have any understanding about the Spirit, right? They just called it the anointing. They thought, you know, you poured oil on them and then the Spirit of God came upon you, which is true and right. But they didn't have a revelation here of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Much like they didn't have a revelation of spirit, soul, and body. Well, what's revelation? Translated from the Greek word apocalypsis. It's a unveiling or revealing of something that's never been seen before. Now, in the light of the New Testament, you receive revelation. It's not necessarily something that's never been seen before by anybody. It's just something that's never been seen before by you. So when you move forward, now we understand, ah, okay, so there's three parts to the Godhead, and there's three parts to me. I am a spirit, I have a soul, and I live in a body. That's the whole part. Now, see, if you go over to Hebrews chapter 4, you thought I'd forgot about Hebrews chapter 4, didn't you? I get to thinking about Abby and the talking tree, and I get to laughing. All right, now look at verse 12 right here. Now, see, it's important to see this. For the word of God is, what, living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even down to what? The division of the soul and the spirit. Well, that tells you right there that there's a division between the spirit and the soul. So as I was thinking about this one day and I was talking to the Lord about it, I was like, this don't absolutely does not make any sense to me. It just doesn't. And he explained it to me like this. Think about it this. Is your arm connected to your torso? Certainly it is. At a joint called the shoulder. Well, is your torso your arm? Certainly it's not. But they're connected at, they're connected at a singular point, aren't they? It's the same way with the spirit and the soul. Now, this is why it's so important <clears throat> that we start studying and finding out and looking past the scope of what we see on the page. What's that mean? It means we have to go back and start looking at what was said in the original languages. Because what is used as soul in the New Testament is oftentimes translated from the Greek word psyche. Then oftentimes we see that the word mind is translated from the Greek word nous. So you'll come to find out that your nous is the emotional part of your mind. And your soul is the forever, it's forever, it's permanent, right? It's going to live forever. And they are both, so your spirit and your soul are so closely connected that the only thing that can separate them is the Word of God. Now, where are they housed? Well, they're housed inside what? Your body. Can we prove that? Sure we could. Because when the spirit leaves, the soul don't hang around, does it? You ever see a dead body with, with a brain still working? Certainly you haven't. Once that body is considered dead medically, you can't have a conversation with them. You can't say, oh, hey, Brother Kitty. <laughs> your spirit's gone from your body, but, you know, what'd you do last Tuesday? See, it's rational. See, it's, it's common rational thinking. So the spirit is the eternal part of you. Your soul is also eternal. But one was born again, and one was not. And we need to prove that, don't we? We need to be able to prove that, don't we? All right, so go to John chapter 3. I 
I'll get there eventually. John chapter 3. We're going to look at this beautiful conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. All right? All right, now let's look at this. Verse 1 tells us there was a man named Nicodemus of the Pharisees. We're going to skip that. He says, Teacher, we know that you come from God because no one can do the things you do unless God be with him. Right? Now what's Jesus say right here? He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can this be? How can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I'm going to say that probably 100 out of 100 moms would be emphatically against this. I'm no expert on females by any means, even though I am raising three of them. I am not an expert. But I'm going to say that 10 for 10, 100 for 100, and 1,000 out of 1,000 moms are going to not be for this. I'm just saying. I mean, we have, we have three of them sitting here. We could take a poll. <laughs> All right. So, Jesus says again, Most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and what? Not so. What? Spirit. Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the soul is the soul. No, that ain't what it says, is it? It says that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. And do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So I could see Nicodemus. Jesus is like, do not marvel that you must be born again. And Nicodemus sitting there going, you know, he's kind of got that, you know, he's probably, Nicodemus is probably kind of looking at Jesus like a chicken. You know, a chicken can't get two eyes on one thing at a time. You know, it's got to turn its head one way, you know. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't, I'm not getting this, you know. These were very real people. And even though Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel, he was certainly a man who was apparently completely and utterly just confounded by what Jesus has just said to him. Like Jesus has literally just blew his mind, Jack. And so Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? He goes on down there, but what's he say? Your spirit, your spirit must be born again well so if i understand that in the scope of the new testament the word there's only one word for spirit and that's the greek word pneuma now textual criticism and translation teaches us that if there's not holy in the front of this part of the spirit the word spirit in these passages of scripture then we must ascertain from the passage of scripture itself whether this, the writer, the Holy Spirit, is talking about the human spirit or the Holy Spirit or demonic spirit. Okay, so it's just pneuma. The holy pneuma. Evil pneuma. The pneuma of man. It's just the same word. So we have to get it and figure it out. And we have to read the, we have to read the text. Okay, so if your spirit must be born again, where does that leave your soul? Well, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what your soul is. Now, is the soul saved? Ultimately, in the end, certainly it is. But what has to be renewed? Your mind. 
Remember, Romans 12, 2 says what? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that tells us there, the soul is eternal, but the way that I think must be corrected. Right? So think about it like this. When you were born again, and you repented, you went down, and you came back up, and your hair color didn't change, your eye color didn't change, and the way that you think about almost every single thing in the world didn't change. If you didn't like cheeseburgers before you were born again, you probably didn't like them the moment you got born again, and vice versa. So see, this is what I'm talking about. There's a lot of common sense that is left out of all of this when this stuff is discussed, which is very important. Because if we're going to talk about this, then, and we're going to talk about spiritual healing, you know, because a lot of people will present it as that. And I can understand why. I understand. I understand that when you start looking at the face value of what is translated, not originally written, but how things are translated, I understand how people get read. I could readily see how people get confused. I was confused until I started looking and I started understanding. Wait a minute. You mean, you mean King James didn't write the Bible? I feel so deceived. All these years, I thought the, that, I, that the apostles used the King James Bible. <laughs> that people believe that. They songs about it. I'm using, my, I'm using my Bible just like a road map, just like the apostles did, I think, dear Lord Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you know. But so I can see how people are easily confused, easily led astray. So when we understand that the part of you that was born again, so the spirit was what? Why did your spirit need to be born again? Because it was dead. That's exactly right. So Romans, I go to Romans chapter 7 here. And listen to this. Let me pull it up here. All right, I'm going to read you 12 verses right here. So this is what the Holy Spirit says. It says, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For when a woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of the husband. So then, while her husband lives, if she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should be bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear, the fruit, to, bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now watch what verse 7 says here. He says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But now listen to what it says right here. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of desire, for apart from the law sin was dead. Now listen, I was once alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Well, if he died physically here, we're going to have trouble explaining how he's writing this at this point in time. 
and the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death. Now listen. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it and by it killed me. Well, what part of him died? What part of him died? It wasn't his mind, because if your mind dies, the fleshly body dies, does it not? So if the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions, if his soul died, we've got no body left. See that? If the, if the body died, Paul didn't write this. <laughs> Paul's, not, Paul's not here. What happened? His spirit died. What's that mean? Spiritual death. Now we partake in through the, the exact same thing that happened to Adam. He became what? Separated from God. He became, his spirit became separated from the giver of life, the life-giving spirit. So now the spirit is dead. All right, can we see that? Do we see that the spirit was dead? Right? I'm going to prove something to you. Because when we're talking about pertaining to spiritual healing, how can you heal what was dead? Yes. So that's the passage where he's talking about, like, uh, essentially, your first sin is that death, that spiritual death. That's right. There's other places where it's saying, like, Adam sinned and then that transferred to the whole human race, right? Like, the, the, the whole, that's right. So when someone is born, they're born of another man, they're born of a woman, they're, do they have the spirit until they commit that first intentional sin? Yes. They actually have the spirit? That's what it says right there. Because okay. if it didn't, then sin couldn't have deceived Paul and killed him. He had to have been alive for sin to have deceived him and then by that killed him. That's very intriguing. So we see here, we establish that the spirit is what, the spirit is what has died, so separated from God. Is that statement, because uh, I know it's Paul that says that, like once Adam sinned, it's transferred. So is that saying that that transfer is our inclination towards sin? That's right. Not that we actually don't have the Spirit. Because when Adam sinned, he came to a fallen state. Because he was made a little lower than Elohim. Then when he sinned, he completely... The glory lifted, they were kicked out of the garden, so on and so forth. Now Adam has become spiritually separated from God. So then every person that's born, that is born, that's why we talk about... There's the Catholic doctrine of... Um, So Cain was born of the Spirit until he sinned, or no? Yes. It had to have been. Okay, that's okay. What am I thinking about here? What am I thinking about here? Um, age of accountability. That's where that comes from, yeah. is the age of accountability. Yeah. That's where that whole teaching comes from. It took a minute. I was, I was running so many files, and I just couldn't get it right there. But So we see that the Spirit is what has died. Now, if this, what we talk about here, and we're going to look at this because they use two passages of Scripture primarily to talk about spiritual healing. They'll use Isaiah 53 and they use 1 Peter chapter 2. Okay? So we want to establish what is healing. That's a fair question, isn't it? Because if we're going to prove that you can't heal the dead, then we must know what the definition of healing is. It's a pretty fair answer. I mean, that's a pretty fair statement, isn't it? All right, so healing... Let me get back up here to my definition. All right. So, according to the Oxford Dictionary, it's to cause a wound or an injury or a person to become sound or healthy again. Well, it's awful hard to do with a dead person. 
It says, also the Oxford Dictionary defines, defines this as to alleviate a person's grief or anguish, to correct or put right. The Free Dictionary describes it, defines it as to cure, to soothe, to, to disinfect, to restore, to recover from an illness or an injury, to experience relief from emotional distress, all of which you cannot do with a dead body. If you can't do it with a dead body, you can't do it with a dead spirit. It's that simple. All right, so then also, too, there are two primary words that are used in the scope of the Greek New Testament pertaining to healing. It's the Greek word therapeo, which would give us an indication of healing over a progressive period of time. What's that sound like in English? It sounds like therapy, doesn't it? So when you see therapeo is normally connected with when Jesus told someone to do something. Like, for example, when he told the, the man in the synagogue, stretch forth your hand, and he was therapeo, healed. And then there's eaomime. Now, eaomime is also pertaining to healing and all this. And so eaomime is actually the word that's used in 1 Peter 22, 24, when it talks about, it says, by his stripes you were healed. All right. Now we talk about it says, and in, in his body he bore, he bore in his body his, the burden for our sins, and by his stripes we were healed. Now, eaomai does not strictly translate as healed. It can also translate to be made whole. Now, why does that pertain here? Because when your spirit is born again, what happens to you? The three parts of you do what now? They become whole. You had a dead spirit, now your spirit's alive. Now you have a live spirit, you have an alive body, and now your soul's functioning with an alive spirit. You have on this side been made complete, which is also the very same thing that we're going to look at in Isaiah. But I want you to see this. Eomai is used 28 times in the New Testament, 20 times in the Gospels. One time in the Gospels, it's pertaining to healing of the brokenhearted, Luke 4:18. One time it's pertaining to being made whole by having a new spirit connected to the body and the soul. Where Jesus talks about, remember he talked about in John there, he says, but it is written that if they would hear with the ears and see with the eyes and turn to me, I would heal them. Well, what's he mean there? Well, he's not talking about physical healing there. He's talking about how it would make them whole. And then the other times it's used, it's used 18, or it's used, uh, it's used... Uh, eight time, 18 times pertaining to physical healing in the Gospels. So 18 times the word eaomai is connected to physical healing, which is the same word that's used in 1 Peter 2.24. It's used eight times, of the eight times in Acts and the Epistles, and of the six times it's translated, it's used again as physical healing. And the other two times it's talking about the spirit being connected to the soul and the body. Now, I know that we're about to run over here. I want to share this. Go to Isaiah 53, because I want you to see this. There's so much here in this. I'm actually going to pull this up. That way I can read you right straight from the, right straight from the Bible app right here. All right. Now, Isaiah 53, this is a passage of Scripture that is absolutely, they refuse to read in synagogue because 
<laughs> this, I mean, Jesus has completely fulfilled Isaiah 53. They're against Jesus, so they don't talk about this, right? All right, so look at this. If you go down here, go down to uh, verse 4. Okay, so it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. All right, now, while the original Hebrew here is far more enlightening, the English renderings missed it. And here's why. Because griefs here is translated from the Greek word hali, and this literally is defined as anxiety, calamity, disease, grief, and sicknesses. That's exactly what, I mean, that's exactly how it's defined right here in Strong's. But grief doesn't really encompass that. Even though sickness, disease could bring, certainly bring grief, it doesn't give us the full scope of the word in which we're looking at here. All right. Now, carried our sorrows. Ready for this? It's the Greek word, or Hebrew word, macabre. This is anguish, affliction, pains, either physical or mental. So it says, surely he has what? Bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Well, so if you look at Matthew 8 and 17, it reads something completely. It mirrors what Isaiah says, but, the, but Matthew's gospel gives us a little bit better rendering about what is actually taking place there. Go there, look that. Matthew chapter 8, verse, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. All right, now look here. Now look at what verse 16 says right here. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and did what? Bore our sicknesses. Now see, that sounds a lot more like what the Hebrew right there says in Isaiah, doesn't it? <laughs> but it gets better. Yet we esteemed him smitten by God, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Okay, now look at verse 5 right here. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Would anybody like to take a guess what that Hebrew right there word right there is? Healed. Rapha. You ever heard of Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? All right, so where's a lot of this confusion take place? And we're going to wrap it up right here on this point. There were other things that happened other than Jesus going to the cross. And that is so oftentimes overlooked. There were things that took place before Jesus went to the cross. Like what happened? What's the very first thing that happens? So they come and they take him in the garden. What happens? Then they take him and they beat him, right? But then what happens? Well, he's taken to Pilate. And Pilate says, what? Scourge him. Okay? So why is this important? 
Why did he have to be scourged before he was crucified? Good question, isn't it? Because see, where did where was he made sin? So what happened at that whipping post? By his well, we were what? Rafa healed. What did he say at the Last Supper when he took the bread? And he broke it. And he did what? He said, this is my broken for you. And then he took the wine and he did what? He said, this is the blood, my blood, the blood of what? The new covenant. So the new covenant was established by the shedding of his blood on the cross. So why did his body have to be broken for us? Because payment for physical healing had to be rendered. It had to be purchased. And that purchasing of that took place when his body was ripped to shreds on that piece of granite stone. Because on the cross is where he's made sin. On the cross is where the weight of the curse is poured into him. On the cross is where God made him who knew no sin to become made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. See, it had to be purchased. And that's hard to, for a lot of people to get. Because, see, every single step is important. Right? If it was just about establishing a new covenant, there would be no need for the breaking of his body. I mean, they could have just literally just nailed him to the cross... And the shedding of his blood would have done that. See that? So why did his body have to be... Now, we use the term broken, but broken probably not a really, really good word there for the translation because that could bring up the statement of a contradictory argument saying, well, if his body was broken and he's truly the Messiah that was prophesied of the Messiah, that it would be written of him that they took him down and not one of his bones was broken. I like to look at this from every angle. That's why we must get in there because when we look at that word broken, it may, I mean, he's literally saying, this is my body that's going to be torn to shreds for you. And when you look at, I can't remember exactly how that lays out. You'd have to look at this, but they take three pieces of bread at that supper and they mark two and they pierce one. Well, so the two that are marked Right? And then the piercing of the bread signifies what? That he was pierced for our transgressions, right? So his body was literally tore to shreds. Isaiah 52 tells us that he was marred beyond human recognition. He was unrecognizable as a man. Well, if it was just merely about establishing the new covenant in his blood, there was absolutely no reason for him to go to that whipping post. There was no reason for him to be tore his flesh to be tore apart unless it was for a specific purpose. See that? See the shedding of the blood. There is no, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. It's simple as that. They could have beat him half to death all day long. He could, they could have nailed him to that cross. But without the shedding of that blood, there is no remission or removal of sin. So then we see here that We've established 
that you can't heal what is dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and sins have become made alive together with Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Your spirit was dead. Okay? So then this spiritual healing as it's presented as the healing of your spirit can't be so. And if it could be so, think about it like this. This is the last point. If the healing of your spirit was possible, why did Jesus not do it when he was on the earth? He did not. When any time that it is linked, when you see these words, therapeo, eomai, it is always linked to, in his ministry, to the healing of the physical body in some form or fashion. Other than the time in John when he talks about it, he says, if they would hear with the ear and see with the eye, they would turn to me and I would eaomai. I would make them whole. So if the spirit could be just simply healed, why didn't Jesus go about healing, healing the spirit? Because you can't heal what's dead. And that's important to understand. See, we have to lay that groundwork for this in moving forward. Because once we establish this, this is not about me being here praying for the sick. We certainly will. And we'll, I'll stay here all night long. If there was a line from, from here to Corbett, I'd stay here until I couldn't stay here anymore praying for the sick. But it's important for me to get this to you all because you can go, hey, you know what? This may sound crazy, but I think Jesus wants to heal you. I mean, I know this sounds nuts. And I know the situation seems impossible. But I really think God wants to heal you, move for you, and help you. I've seen it too many times. I mean, just, it, it, just case after case after case after case after case. And any time that there's always seemingly been something that's come up, the Lord has always explained to me what took place. You know, some people don't truly believe. They really don't. Some people struggle, and we'll get into this when we talk about hindrances, but how you believe affects what you get. It's that simple. I mean, and we can take that back to the most important thing. If you choose to refuse to believe in your heart and confess from your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will not be born again. So if your belief will affect that, how you believe will affect everything else as it comes along. Now, there are times you can take people that are at certain points in their faith and God can move miraculously on their behalf because they're maybe they're baby Christians, so on and so forth. You'll see a miraculous demonstration. But when, as you progress and you go further in Christianity, you're supposed to know more today than you knew yesterday and this year than you knew last year. There are people out there that are not being healed because they're preaching and teaching. You know, God only picks and chooses, you know, who gets healed and who don't. Well, when you believe that, according to Matthew 7, you receive, you're being judged how you judge. And you're reaping the fruit of what you've sown. That's why it's so important to get people taught what the Word says. And listen, I understand. People, people 
get close to people and they get connected to people and they begin to idolize people and they begin to think, well, this man, there's no way this man could be wrong. Well, there are ways that they can be wrong. And people receive bad teaching from the people that are in that position. And when they receive that teaching and say, I say, Brandon is a good teacher. And say, Kenny's a bad teacher. And I've spent years coming up underneath Kenny's teaching that's bad teaching. And I'm sick and I'm broke and I got all this trouble. And, but Kenny's teaching is all theological. It's coming from theological mindsets. And it's coming from all of these different educated and all of these different or uneducated positions that are outside the Bible. But then I'm over here and Brandon's trying to teach me inside the scope of the word and I'm refusing that teaching which is inside the scope of the word because of the way that I feel about Kenny. Even though what Kenny teaches in this particular area couldn't be more wrong, I refuse to repent. I refuse to listen to Brandon's good teaching because if I listen to what Brandon is teaching that's right, then I must admit that what Kenny taught was wrong. And many people are trapped right there and they will not move forward because they refuse to accept the fact that someone that they love and someone that they trusted was wrong in a particular area. He may have been 95% right in everything that he taught, but 100% wrong in one area when he was bad off that Brandon is perfectly right in that he's trying to help me, but I won't listen because of how I feel about Kenny. Does that make sense? See, that's why I always encourage people don't, take, don't just take what I'm telling you as 100%. You figure, you, he said this. Now, where's that say that in the Word? What's the Bible say about it? You know what? I've been wrong. I've missed it. I'll miss it again. I'm sure of it. I know for certain that I'm not 100% right in everything that I believe and everything that I teach. Because if I think I am, then I think I know 100% of everything that there is to know about everything. And then I think I'm God. That's why I always encourage people, you take this and you study this and you pray about this and you research this yourself and you see this for yourself because when you're doing that, it's a lot harder for the devil to trick you and it's a lot harder for you to be led astray. And I've had times, I say, the Lord will show me something. One of my favorite ones, I'll tell you this one, then I'll go. Well, I'll let you go. I promise, I know I said that 15 minutes ago, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this one. So, you know, like I'm studying love, right? First week of June, man, I'm studying agape, the God kind of love. And I'm, you know, the Lord's called me. You want me to teach people on this and everything else, you know? So for a number of years, I mean, I'm studying. Like, I mean, intently studying this. I mean, not kind of just once a month. I mean, I'm going at this six and seven days a week. And for years, I only could find five words in the Greek New Testament that was translated love. And I made, that, I made that statement one day. I was sitting at my desk and had made that statement to somebody, and I was sitting at my desk reading, and on the inside, I said, I, all of a sudden, I just knew it was wrong. I mean, I, 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 I didn't hear anything from the Lord. I just knew it was wrong. I said, okay, am, am I wrong here? Then the Holy Spirit began to teach me. And you know what? Bless God, I found 14. Not, I didn't miss it by one or two. I missed it by almost three times the amount. That's bad. You know, I mean, you know, like you, you, when we say, you know, singular words or word phrases, two or three words put together, you know, brotherly love, so on and so forth. 
But I mean, you know, bless God, when you miss it by that bad, I mean, you realize, I just, finally, I just started telling people, I say, this is just all I found to this point. I don't even tell people anymore. I'd be like, this is just all I know is here right now. But maybe I'll know more tomorrow. I don't know. I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm not an all authoritative <laughs> source on this, you know. But bless God, I mean, I missed it and bad. And unintentionally. I mean, and not from a lack of studying and trying to figure out what was right, but a lack of what? Apocalypsis, revelation. I saw something, the Holy Spirit, when my heart opened up and I was ready to receive something new, the Holy Spirit said, okay, this is where you're wrong. And then I just sit there and shook my head. I was like, my God, I've been telling people this. I'm going to have to repent of this. I'm going to have to tell everybody I know that I've ever taught this, that I was wrong. And I do. Anytime I get an opportunity, I'll tell them. I say, you know what? I probably told you this, but I was wrong. So, But there you go. I hope that kind of begins to establish the groundwork. Because if you see this and you get a hold of this, we're not special. We are not special. God wants to use each and every person here in some form, some fashion, some way. You know what? Because you're going to, each one of you are going to reach people and see people and come into contact with people that I may never see. But you know what? I mean, if you'll get a hold of this and believe, he'll work right through you. I mean, he'll just work right through you. And then we can, as a team, we teach other people. And we teach people correctly, and then the team keeps getting bigger and bigger because I ain't here for me. I'm here to go for big for Jesus or go home. I ain't here for me. I'm not here for Rocky Brown. I got better things to do than to be here for me. That's just a fact of the matter. And if all I can give you is what I got, we're all in bad shape. I ain't got really much, really. I, I, I mean, I'm not very intelligent most of the time. I mean, just being honest. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I just got to be honest about it. I mean, sometimes I do stupid stuff, and I think stupid stuff. and I want to do stupid stuff. Right? So, if y'all have, anybody got any questions? Let me stop recording here before we start asking questions.